0: She was born around 1753 in West Africa, an enslaved African-American poet who became the first published African-American female author, and the first African to publish in the English language. Her remarkable talent, courage, and intellectual achievements in the face of slavery and adversity continue to inspire so many of us today. Learn more about Phyllis Wheatley in today's episode of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. Phyllis Wheatley was captured by slave traders at a young age, probably in the territory now called Senegal or Gambia. She was put on a slave trade boat called the Phyllis and transported to Boston, Massachusetts in the British colony of Massachusetts in July 1761 when she was about eight years old. She was purchased by the Wheatley family who named her Phyllis after the boat that she arrived on and gave her their own last name, which was common at the time. John Wheatley purchased her to be a servant for his wife Susanna, but the Wheatleys quickly recognized her intelligence and aptitude for learning. The Wheatleys, unlike many slaveholders, treated her with kindness and provided her with a level of education rarely afforded to any girls, let alone an enslaved one at the time. With private tutors, Phyllis learned to read and to write not only in English, but by 12 years old she was reading Greek and Latin classics in the original languages, along with the Bible. She wrote her first poem at age 14, and it was called To the University of Cambridge in New England. In this poem, Wheatley implores a group of new Harvard students to be good Christians and never to forget the magnitude of Jesus' sacrifice for humankind. It is written to be a kind of imagined sermon or commencement address. Now, how many 14-year-olds are dreaming of what they would say if they were invited to speak to the students and faculty of Harvard University? That's remarkable. Phyllis Wheatley's poetic abilities gained attention, and she became a well-known figure in Boston's literary circles. Her first big break actually was a poem published in the Boston Censor. It was an elegy poem on the death of the open-air evangelist George Whitfield. Apparently, she was a big fan of Whitfield and loved his preaching. Many of her early poems were eloquent defenses of orthodox Christian doctrine, such as her poem "Unaddressed to a Deist," in which she, which she wrote when she was only fourteen years old. Well, as time went on, she had enough poetry to publish a book, and her owners advertised in the Boston Censor for a publisher. This advertisement to sell the work of this teenage slave girl was alongside other advertisements to sell teenage slave girls. And people were shocked. Actually, many prominent people doubted that she had actually written the poems because they just couldn't believe that a black slave could write such beauty. And she was taken to court for plagiarism in 1772. In that investigation and trial, some of her greatest skeptics became her biggest fans when they became convinced Of her authenticity and moral character. Among these included John Hancock, Thomas Hutchinson, the governor of Massachusetts, and his lieutenant governor Andrew Oliver. With several others, they created a document and signed their names attesting to the authenticity of Phyllis Wheatley's poetry. In 1773, the Wheatley family arranged for Phyllis to travel to London because they thought that her poetry would be more widely praised and therefore published. She met with many prominent people there and gained several patrons. And just as suspected, her book, Poems on Various Subjects, Religious and Moral, was published in London later that same year. It was the first book of poetry written by an African American and the first book written by a woman of African descent to be published in the English language. The volume received positive reviews and Wheatley was hailed as a literary prodigy. She was only 20 years old. Her poetry encompassed a range of themes, including religion, morality, and the abolition of slavery. She drew inspiration from her own experience as an enslaved person, expressing both her personal struggles and her belief in the equality and dignity of all people. Her writing exhibited a classical style influenced by poets such as Alexander Pope and John Milton, while also reflecting her own unique perspective as an African-American woman. Many of her poems reflect her deep love for Jesus Christ and her devotion to Him. Though her poems are not generally autobiographical, she weaves her own unique perspectives and experiences into them. In her poem On Being Brought from Africa to America, she's a little bit more autobiographical than usual, and so let me quote a few lines from that poem. "'Twas mercy brought me from my pagan land, taught my benighted soul to understand. That there's a God, that there's a Savior too. Once I redemption neither sought nor knew. Some view our sable race with scornful eye. Their color is a diabolic dye. Remember, Christians, Negroes, black as cane, may be refined and join the angelic train. Critics of her poetry point to the absence of the themes of racism and the plight of enslaved people. She certainly touches on these themes, but they would like to have seen more anger and outrage in her. They note that her education meant that she was separated from other black people and she grew up mostly among white privilege. She was rarely forced into labor of any kind, and her poetry reflects what we might now call Uncle Tom syndrome. Well, that's probably true. She was writing about her own experience. She was not the liberator or prophetic voice that some wish that she would have been. And perhaps she knew that if she used her voice in that way, she would have been silenced with violence very quickly. Her call for freedom for all is subtle, but it is clear, and she praises those who call for the abolition of slavery. In fact, as the American Revolution was gaining momentum, her poems highlighted the contradictions between the ideals of freedom and the reality of slavery in the new nation. For example, uh, let me read to you a little bit from an unpublished poem reflecting on the death of Major General Wooster, who died from the wounds suffered in a Connecticut battle during the American Revolution. And the poem is from his voice, uh, as if he is speaking from beyond the grave. And here's what she writes. But how presumptuous shall we hope to find divine acceptance with the almighty mind? While yet, O deed ungenerous, they disgrace and hold in bondage Africa's blameless race. Let virtue reign and thou accord our prayers be victory ours. And generous freedom theirs. Well, after her book was published, the Wheatley family gave her her freedom. She was no longer a slave then, and a few years later she married a free black man named John Peters. He was very poor, and the two of them lived in extreme poverty. Their first child died as an infant, John was a very poor manager of what little money they had, and he was thrown into debtor's prison and left Phyllis to manage on her own with their second baby, who was sick. So she became a scullery maid at a boarding house, work that she had never done before, and she actually died a few months later, in December 1784, at the age of 31. Her baby son died shortly after she did, and they are buried together in an unmarked grave. Although her life was marked by hardship and limited opportunities, her literary achievements paved the way for future African American writers and artists. Her poetry challenged the prevailing notions of race and intellect, asserting the humanity and creative capabilities of African Americans. Phyllis Wheatley's contributions to American literature and her unwavering pursuit of education and artistic expression remain an enduring testament to the power of resilience and the importance of embracing diverse voices. Her legacy continues to inspire generations, serving as a reminder of the strength and potential within all individuals, regardless of their background or circumstances. She wrote to a friend, uh what she thought should be the hope of every Christian. And here's—and I'll finish with this quote from her in her letter. But oh, that I could dwell on and delight in Jesus alone above every other object. While the world hangs loose about us, we shall not be in painful anxiety in giving up to God that which he gave first to us. Hey there, amazing listeners of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. I've got something special to share with you today. First off, if you are loving what you hear, do me a solid and spread the word. Tell a friend, a colleague, or even a neighbor about the podcast. It's the best way to help me grow and reach more people like you. And don't forget to hit the follow button yourself so you never miss an episode. Next up, I would love to hear from you. Your feedback means the world to me. Take a moment to rate and review on your favorite podcast player. Your reviews will help others to discover the soulful goodness of the Gospel Gumbo Podcast. And then, if you've got suggestions or corrections or you just want to say hi, shoot me an email. I am all ears and I can't wait to hear from you. And now for something really exciting. I've set up a special opportunity for our dedicated listeners. If you've ever wished that you could binge on more Gospel Gumbo goodness without any interruptions, well, now you can. For just $5, you can unlock access to 10 bonus episodes and enjoy all the episodes ad-free. Just click on the link in the show notes to get started. Now, why is there an emphasis on downloads, feedback, and support? It's simple. The more love I receive from you all, the sooner I can roll out Season 2. So, thanks for being part of the Gospel Gumbo family. Your support keeps me going.